and welcome to This Shit Really Happened, the true crime podcast where we deep dive into the most disturbing, depraved, and downright gruesome true crimes in history. My name is Em. And I'm Autumn. And we are your hosts, and we are back to kick off spooky season. It is now spooky season, so we, not that the rest of this shit isn't spooky, but (laughs) we are going to do a spooky episode today. Yes, I found two cases that took place on Halloween that were like... It's getting spooky in here. I mean, it's done been spooky season around, like... This podcast? Yeah. (laughs) And also, like, my house. (laughs) I decorated, like... What did I decorate? Like, the first few weeks of September? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, the first, like, sign of, like, chill in the air. I'm like, let's fucking go. It's spooky season. (laughs) Like, I'm bringing all my my decorations out. Literally. Put on my witch hat. Make Lucas haul up the Halloween (laughs) decorations from the basement. I have also, like, bought just, like, a whole bunch more Halloween decorations. I'm going to have to get a, because the one, like, that big-ass bin right there, that's when I had all my Halloween decorations, and it was full. Yeah, and my I've, Halloween one is pretty full. Yeah, and I've bought more since, so it's like, look <clears> at <throat> Ralph just literally sitting there. Is he about to walk over here and cause more trouble? Probably. I don't know. He's just walking past. He literally always is the one who starts things, and... Then he gets finished and then sits there and complains that he's gotten his ass beat. Like, you're the one who started it, dude. You're the one who started it. He never learns his lesson, though. Because he's, he's dumb. You got any chapstick? Um, actually, I might. Pause. Entertain the masses for a second. <laughs> uh, so our ASMR today, we have McDanks. <laughs> for those of you who don't know what that is, we have McDonald's. I got me a high seat because that shit is crack. And Emily got her shit, her fucking Sprite. Yo, McDonald's Sprite. It's spicy. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, the one's vanilla and one's just like Burt's Bees. So I guess you just have your fucking pick of what you want. The Burt's Bees one is kind of like, it's almost like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like a, like a, like a, like a, like a vapor to it. Mm-hmm. That's what we need. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's what we got. That's what we got for a chapstick for all these parts. I did have some Carmax, but I don't know where it is. I always lose mine. I've bought so many of them. Never have I gotten through a whole Carmax before I've lost it. <laughs> right? I feel like that's just, like, a thing. Like, with all just, like, chapsticks in general. Like, lip glosses. Lose them. Chapsticks. Lose them. I don't know where half the sh- my shit is. Dude, I know. I bought so much stuff, and <clears> then I'm like, where the fuck did I put this? Literally. Like, what? It's like I can't go to look for it. And like, I literally just saw this the other day, and then it's fucking gone. Disappeared. Spooky season. <laughs> Things. Did. It'll be the middle of June. Gone. Spooky, Spooky season. <laughs> it's a ghost. It's ghosts. I'm a cupcake. <laughs> oh my god! It's ghost. Oh man! It's freaking bats! It's freaking bats! I love Halloween, dude. I that girl came across my TikTok mm-hmm. for you page. She's like, I'm like a preteen now, but mm-hmm. she literally talks the exact same. I'm like, yo, it's I the freaking bats, girl. Less. My favorite vibe of hers though is I smell like beef. <coughs> I, I smell love, like beef. I smell, I smell, like, smell beef. like beef. And <laughs> 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 she's just like sitting on her porch, like watching a sunset. I smell like. stupid (laughs) that's one that i will like probably one of the most my most quoted vines is i smell like beef don't know why 
It's just... I think I lost my patties. Oh, my God. I still haven't found my patties, but I found this. <laughs> Dude, I fucking miss Vine. Uh, that shit too. was iconic. I so I've tried to bring my Twitter back. I forgot how to post on Twitter. <laughs> Dude, I'm never... I don't ever tweet on Twitter. I'm literally just on Twitter to, like, lurk. Like, am I supposed to tweet my feelings? That, like, I, that's the thing. Like, what do I have to tweet about? Tweet what's I, on my brain? Because I'm going to say Vine lines. <laughs> my Twitter is going to be a running just quote of Vines. That and, like, fucking horse. <laughs> or, like, yeah, I hate Yeah, dude, people. I really don't, like, I am only ever on Twitter to just, like, scroll. I'm like, everything else is getting boring. Let's bring back Twitter. Brought it back. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Still boring. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know. Like, you gotta just follow the right people. And I'm like, I don't even know who I'm supposed to follow. Like, I feel like Twitter is, like, only entertaining. A, like, if you have a fuck ton of followers. (laughs) B, if you're, like, a celebrity. Or C, if it's, like, like a fan Twitter. Like, you're, like, dedicated to, like, a fandom. Like, an artist or something. But other than that, like, if it's just me saying... Who fucking knows my 200 followers? No one fucking cares. <laughs> no one cares. Nobody gives a fucking damn. The only time I ever saw a small success on Twitter was when I tweeted about Ted Cruz being the Zodiac killer and having to deny it on live television. I got like almost 3,000. How many fucking. I don't even know where that tweet is anymore, but that's like the only tweet that I've ever had that was like anywhere like close to a banger. Oh, it got, yeah, 2,081 likes. I'm like, well, that was fun, I guess. And then I'll occasionally, like, retweet, like, an episode or tweet about an episode of this podcast on there. But, like, I don't fucking use Twitter. I haven't posted on Instagram, like, for fucking ever. Like, I don't. I try. I don't. Like. I posted one. I could, like, the only reason I don't delete my social medias is because when I'm just sitting around doing nothing. You're bored. I want to scroll. Right. That's exactly why I keep them. I'm not active on them whatsoever. <laughs> but I literally just like I have nothing else to fucking do with my life. So I just sit and scroll on social media. And then my phone is like, you have your screen time was up to an average of like 10 hours. Blah, blah, blah. Literally. I'm like, yeah, because like it's all I fucking time. do. <laughs> I'm like, dang, that was the whole time I was awake. I know. No, literally. Like from the second I open my eyes in the morning to the second I go to sleep, I, I'm like on my fucking phone. Ah, oh, it's shit. literally insane. The only time I'm like not is like when I'm working, and even then, sometimes I'm, I'm like, all right, I'm not doing. Especially like working from home, like if I'm not actively doing something, I'm like scrolling on TikTok. Literally. Anyway, anyway, this, this is a late night. <laughs> it is it's late, a late night, night podcast recording. recording so, so we are uh, we are trying to get the show on the road. Yeah, we'll get the show on the road. So we are both grandmas and we're tired. Dude, I am scale. fucking tired. Oh, hey, Carter. He's coming up, say hello. Come up, say hello. Oh my goodness. Would you look at that handsome guy? Oh, he's so big handsome. Will you have you breathe into the microphone? Picked up, but <laughs> he, he did a little. So I hope it picked that up. <laughs> we tried to get some Carter ASMR, but I don't know what actually got picked up on the microphone. Anyways, so um, those of you who follow the Instagram, you would have seen that we're covering two cases this episode. So we've got the case of the man who killed Halloween, and then we have the case of the Lisk family Halloween massacre. So, the first one we're going to do, Avi, is the man who killed Halloween. Um, 
So shit, I'm just going to jump right into it because we don't got no time to waste it. I need to go to bed. (laughs) After eating all that McDonald's, so not only is it late. I'm so tired after eating that McDonald's. I just want to go to sleep. It's literally food coma territory. Mm -hmm. I'm just like thinking like literally like I'm going to walk you out and then just walk back up here and go fucking lay in the bed. Yeah, it was Lucas being gone. I can just sprawl out with just me and the cats. I'm literally just going to speed home and just get naked and sleep. <laughs> Somebody's listening to that. They're like, oh, man. <laughs> you weirdos. Not actually naked, you freaks. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know that. They don't know that. Um, okay, so this case, the man who killed Halloween, this is a case of Ronald Clark O'Brien. Um, so for this case, we are going back to Halloween night in 1974. We're going to Deer Park, Texas. Great. So probably a fucking chainsaw. <laughs> Dude. Oh my God. Quick little sidebar. I love like, I want to go to like the, like a haunted hayride or something. Like fucking Becker Farms, like haunted mm-hmm. hayride or something. Like we should go to the haunted catacombs. I went to the, I like Fright World better than the catacombs. Because me and Dida went to the haunted catacombs, so it was kind of bleh. But then we went to Fright World, and that shit was popping. Um, I mean, around here, at least, we can go to the, um, the, the what? The, they do the little, bump. oh, the cave? Yeah, there we yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking chainsaws, because, like, I'm really good with, like, jump scares and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, people jumping out at me, like, doesn't phase me. Like, I will literally, like, laugh back in your face. I will jump. I might laugh, but I'm going to jump. <laughs> But the one thing that, even though my brain understands that that chainsaw, it doesn't have a chain on it, Mm -hmm. it's an actor, they're playing a part, it scares the ever-loving shit out of me. (laughs) Just the sound of it fucking revving. The smell of the gasoline puts me on fucking edge. Like, literally. The first time I went to Fright World was with Lucas, and we had, like, just so happened to meet up with, like, my cousin and her boyfriend at the time (laughs) we were there. And so, <coughs> all, <coughs> covering the mic, <laughs> all four of us were going through the houses together, and the first one we went through was, like, it was, like, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre-themed house, mm-hmm. and of course, I'm waiting the entire time, I'm like, where's the fucking chainsaw, where's the fucking chainsaw, where's the fucking chainsaw, because mm-hmm. I know it's got to be coming, and at the end of the house, like, I was walking, and on, like, the right of me mm-hmm. was the set of, like, two big, like, dual-swinging doors, and mm-hmm. then the exit, and I should have fucking known that it was going to be right there. Mm-hmm. But the second I stepped out around that corner, this big motherfucker bursts out of the doors with the fucking chainsaw in his hand. I lost my sh- I have never run that fucking <laughs> fast. And that asshole, of course, he chased me yeah. right out. Was- Dude, I <laughs> flinched so hard. I accidentally swung back and, like, punched my cousin in the face. Oh, no. And just sprinted. Out of that fucking place. And then there was another one we were in where I was I wish I would have seen it. I would have Dude, seen I was fans. fucking terrified. My heart was beating so fast, I was literally hyperventilating. Mm-hmm. So, like, chainsaws are one thing that freaks me the fuck out. I, mm-hmm. I don't. I can't do it. I don't know what it is. I just, mm-mm. I don't fuck with it. Um, anyway. <laughs> anyway, so, back to our story. Like I said, uh, Halloween night, 1974, Deer Park, Texas. Um, this is when then 30-year-old Ronald Clark O'Brien, he decides to take his two children who are eight-year-old Timothy and five-year-old Elizabeth out trick-or-treating in the town of nearby Pasadena, Texas. Um, Along with Ronald was the children and a family friend named Jim Bates. So it was Ronald O'Brien, Tim O'Brien. Did we do another one with the Bates? We might have. 
Kellyanne Bates. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was Ronald, his son Timothy, his daughter Elizabeth, Jim Bates, and Jim's own son as well, all in this group going out to Pasadena on a trick-or-treat. Mm-hmm. It was actually raining that evening so like they weren't out for super long their intention was you know just go to a couple houses get a decent candy haul and then take the kids back and go home because like nobody wants to fucking Mm -hmm. be out trick-or-treating in the rain so Mm -hmm. um the kids they basically you know they're just doing as kids do going up to houses and fucking trick-or-treat get some candy whatever um and as they're going around the neighborhood they decide to stop at this like one like it was like one of the last houses they were going to go to um, this house was actually, like, dark. It had all of its lights off. But the kids were like, oh, like, let's knock on the door anyway. Maybe they just have the lights off. But if they hear us knock, like, they'll come and they'll give us candy. Mm-hmm. So the kids go up to the porch. Like, they knock on the door. Nobody answers. Um, they hang out for, like, I don't know, a minute or two. And then they decide to go ahead and move on to the next house. Um, and then Ronald O'Brien, he's like, oh, like, you guys go. Like, I'll stay here for a little bit longer just in case they come out and... You know, somebody happens to be home. So Jim Bates takes the kids. They move on to the next house. Um, and then a few minutes later, Ronald O'Brien, he catches back up with them. And he was like, oh, I've got some good news. Like, there was people home in that house. Mm-hmm. And, like, out from behind his back, he pulls out, like, I think, like, four or five of those, like, large size pixie sticks. Mm-hmm. And the kids are like, oh, hell yeah. It's like, Fuck yeah. it's full size candy. And it's like the real fucking pixie sticks. You know how you can get like those like really cheap like dollar mm. store ones that it's like crunchy sugar and not yeah. the nice like powdery sugar. Mm. So he had like the nice like real pixie sticks. So obviously the kids are fucking sucked. They're like, hell yeah. So he gives one pixie stick to Timothy, one pixie stick to Elizabeth and one to Jim Bates' son who's there with them. He also had an extra for one of Jim Bates' kids that didn't come with them. Mm-hmm. And then he had an extra as well that he just happened to, like, on their way home. He saw a 10-year-old boy that he knew from church. So he's like, hey, I have this pixie stick left over. Do you want it? Kid's like, fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. So O'Brien gives the last pixie stick to this 10-year-old boy who he recognized from church. Um, mm-hmm. So they pack up. They go home. The night's over. It's raining. They're like, we don't want to be out here anymore. We got our good haul. Whatever, let's go home. Let's end the night. So the second they get back home, as kids do, Timothy's fucking dumping out his mm-hmm. candy bag. He's digging through his pile. He wants to see what he's got. <laughs> he's so excited. And he's, like, begging his parents. He's like, can I just please, like, have something mm-hmm. before I go to bed? Like, right. I just want to eat some of my candy. He's fucking psyched. It's right. Halloween. <laughs> right. Like, I remember doing I just had a shit ton of candy. Right. I know. That was, like, the best part of the night, like, coming yeah. home and just, and just checking dumping out. everything Literally, and seeing what you got. I would, like, sort through it. I'm like, oh, I got all these candy bars, and mm. I got, like, this and this and mm. this. And then my fucking mom, of course, was like, oh, let me look through what I want. Yeah, yeah, literally. And I'm like, no, no. Mm. I did all the legwork for this mm-hmm. candy. You just drove the car. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be so different when we were kids, though. I used to get a fuck ton of candy. Yes, dude. But as we got older, like... It just got less and less, and I feel like the kids now, like, don't really trick-or-treat as much, and, like, the people just don't hand out candy. Yeah, dude. I don't know. Like, I... What is Halloween? Is Halloween, like, on a Monday It is, yeah. Year? I think I really just want to, like, go sit on the front porch with, like... Because <laughs> I feel like a lot of people will be coming down this road, because it's, like, there's a fuck ton of houses here. It's, like, I, a main I road. I work literally all day. Oh, shit. I would work till 5 o'clock, but I could, you know, still sit out and, like... Mm-hmm. Just sit with, like, a fucking 
Mm-hmm. Bat- I was keep trying to want to say bucket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a bucket of candy. Yes. Um, I would <laughs> love to be able to like put like a costume on one of the cats and mm-hmm. like have the cat, like one of the cats out there, like put some bat wings on like Bubby or something and be like, mm-hmm. oh, trick or treat, like my cat. Mm-hmm. Honestly, he would probably fuck with that. If it's not too cold, he would actually probably like being outside for a little while. Um, anyways, <laughs> so Timothy gets back home. He's immediately <laughs> digging through his candy bag, and he's, like, begging his parents. He's like, please, can I just have, like, one piece of candy before I go to bed? And, you know, they understand it's Halloween. They're like, yeah, like, you can have one thing, so pick the one thing you want, and that's <laughs> what you can have before you go to bed. <laughs> so he ends up picking the pixie stick. So he actually had, like, some trouble opening the pixie stick, um, which was kind of, like... He had trouble opening it because the top of the pixie stick was, like, stapled shut with, like, some heavy-duty staples. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'm pretty sure that, like, pixie sticks are just, like, Mm heat-sealed, right? And you just, like, pop it open. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so he's, like, he takes the pixie stick over to his dad, to Ronald LeBron. He's, like, I literally can't get this open. Like, can you help me? So Ronald, like, pops the pixie stick open. It's all good. He gives it to Timothy. Um, and of course, as you do, Timothy fucking takes a big tanks, mm-hmm. like half of that pixie stick and immediately he like holds a face and he's like, "Ugh!" he's like, this tastes really bitter. Like, this is gross. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he asks like, or he says to his dad, he's like, this pixie stick doesn't taste right. Like it's, it's fucking, it's bitter. It's really mm-hmm. nasty. And so Ronald goes and he gets him, like, just a cup of Kool-Aid. He's like, here, like, wash it down. Like, maybe it was, like, an old piece of candy or whatever. And it's like, it went bad or something. I don't even mm-hmm. know if, like, pixie sticks can go bad sugar. like that. Right. But, you know, according to Ronald, like, they don't think much of it. They think maybe, oh, it was just, like, some fucking old candy, whatever. So he gives him this Kool-Aid. Timothy drinks the Kool-Aid. Um... And very, very quickly after drinking the Kool-Aid and eating this pixie stick, Timothy immediately starts to complain that his stomach is hurting. Like, not just, like, hurting a little bit. Like, he is in severe pain, like, Mm -hmm. almost instantaneously after eating this pixie stick. So he runs into the bathroom and he gets, like, violently, violently sick. He is vomiting everywhere. He's convulsing, like... Ronald runs into the bathroom and he says he's like holding Timothy's body while he's just fucking convulsing mm-hmm. on the bathroom floor. And so like immediately they call 911. They get an ambulance there. Um, ambulance rushes over as fast as they can. They haul Timothy into the back of the ambulance. But sadly, Timothy is dead by the time they get him to the hospital. He Aww. dies en route to the hospital. Um, and this was less than an hour after he had eaten that pixie stick. Wow. Yeah. So the former Harris County prosecutor, Mike Hinton, he was um, working police intake that night, and he recalls about the night. He said, quote, it was just a coincidence that I was working the police intake that night. I got a call from the Pasadena Police Department. They told me an eight-year-old boy had died. He was rushed to the hospital, but he'd already passed. So an eight-year-old boy has just died. Mm. The police immediately get this under investigation. They're like, mm. we need to figure out what happened. Because <clears throat> for all intents and purposes, it was it was just like a regular Halloween night. He had some candy, and then an hour mm. later, he's dead. Right. Before so having gotten violently, violently sick for seemingly no reason. Mm-hmm. So they're like, we need, we need to figure out what the hell went wrong. 
So Hinton, he gives a call out to Dr. Joseph. Oh, God, I'm going to say something. <laughs> Jasimzik? It's J- <laughs> It's J-A-C-H. Just, I don't fucking know. Joseph. Dr. Joseph. Um, The last name is spelled J-A-C-H-I-M-C-Z-Y-K. So uh, I don't even know how you, I know like C-Z-Y-K was like Zik or something like that. Or mm-hmm. I don't fucking know. But Dr. Joseph, um, he is the chief medical examiner of Harris County. Mm-hmm. So Hinton gives a call over. He tells the doctor about the situation. And the doctor, like his first question is, what does the boy's breath smell like? Okay. So Hinton gives a quick a call down to the morgue where they have Timothy's body and the the medical examiner down there, he's like, it smells like almonds. And when Hinton relays this information over to Dr. Joseph, he's like, I know exactly what killed that boy. Oh, God. Um, the smell of almonds is an indicator of cyanide. Poisoning. Oh my god. Yeah, so it was his hunch was it was cyanide. Mm-hmm. And later a pathologist ran some tests, of course, as they do, they like do blood work, mm-hmm. try to find cause of death. And they found that Timothy had consumed enough cyanide to kill two grown people. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, and later found that the first top two inches of that pixie stick had been packed with. Pure cyanide powder. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, um, what's his face that gave them to him? Or was it actually from that house? We shall see. Um, immediately when they figure out, like, that this pixie stick was, like... Because they're, they're talking to Ronald O'Brien, like, this entire time, too. And he is telling them this story about how he got the pixie sticks. He's like, oh, I got them from this house. And there was, like, I handed them out to, like... You know, my daughter Elizabeth and to the Bates's kids and to that also like 10 year old boy who was from mm-hmm. his church. So police are immediately like, we need to get these fucking pixie sticks right. from these kids. Um, thankfully, they were able to recover all of the other pixie sticks before any of the kids had a chance to eat them. Mm-hmm. Um, immediately, like parents are like, especially the parents of like that kid from the church like mm-hmm. they were fucking hysterical when the police like came to their house and were looking for this pixie because they couldn't find it oh no they're like what the fuck what the fuck what the mm-hmm. fuck so they're looking around the house everywhere they possibly can um and they rush upstairs and they find their son asleep in his bed holding <sighs> onto the pixie stick he's like not my pixie stick. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason he had just like fallen asleep holding it was he couldn't get the top undone he couldn't get past mm-hmm. the fucking staples. Mm-hmm. And so the police now have these pixie sticks and they see these stapled, they're stapled shut and they're immediately like, that's suspicious. That's mm-hmm. weird. Because, you know, obviously like we talked about pixie mm-hmm. sticks are heat sealed, so yeah. they're easy to open like that. So um, immediately, like, news of Timothy's death is, like, already crazy spreading across this community and, like, parents are, like, freaking the fuck out mm-hmm. they're just like they're looking through their kids do you candy. have a pixie they're stick like, is anything poisoned mm-hmm. and so like all these parents are like you know calling in to the police they're like is my kids candy poison like what do mm-hmm. i do because they're they're freaking the fuck out like mm-hmm. a kid just died from right. eating a pixie stick full of cyanide right and so yeah like the hysteria and the fear after this was like 
all over the fucking place. Of course it was. And feel bad for the kids after like, damn, mom dad threw out all my candy. <laughs> I just worked for I worked this. so hard for this and they just threw out all my candy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'd be upset. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, what the like, hell? What the fuck? There's yeah. no way all of it's poison. Right? <laughs> There's no way all, I'll just have like a little bite of everything. Like, just a little bite's not going to kill me. That's <laughs> <laughs> it. Oh, That'd be some shit I would have said as a kid. Right? Like, just, like if I just see like, a little I'd be corner, like, Mom, all they said was pixie sticks, and I don't I have any. I don't have pixie sticks. Mom, like, all this is unopened. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, my mom probably would have just been like, just eat the fucking candy. <laughs> like, mom. Been, like, my mom would have been like, get me the fucking candy. It's going in the garbage. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, your mom was mad paranoid. <laughs> yeah, actually, I don't know. Dad, dad probably would have been like, you don't need this fucking candy. Like, mm-hmm. get over it. Um, <laughs> I'm like, well, you're gonna throw my shit out. You're gonna buy me some more. Um, yeah, my mom would have been like, "Fuck you, <laughs> <laughs> fuck you." It's poison. I'm saving your life. <laughs> so initially, police did not suspect that Ronald Clark O'Brien had had anything to do with Timothy's death mm-hmm. until the test came back that Timothy had been killed with a lethal dose of cyanide. Because mm-hmm. at this point, you know, they're kind of starting to put the pieces together and. You know, they're thinking, you know, there it just doesn't line up. There's too many things initially about this that are a little suspicious. So they obviously start asking Ronald Clark O'Brien some more questions. First and foremost, they want to know where the fuck these Pixie Six came from. Mm-hmm. So he tells them, initially he said he couldn't remember which house specifically he had gotten the Pixie Sticks from. Mm-hmm. Um, And, like, immediately, again, police are getting suspicious. They're like, well... You guys didn't go to that many houses. You only trick-or-treated on two streets because it was raining out. Right. So, like, how many houses have you could have possibly gone to? Mm -hmm. And I think you would remember the house that gave you fucking six full-size pixie sticks. Right. Um, And so, like, after that, too, like, they're going around the neighborhood, right? Because they're just kind of casing things, trying to figure out possibly where this candy could have come from. Since, I don't remember, I don't remember. And they're asking the houses, like, all the owners, like, what kind of candy did you hand out that night? And they found that, like, at least nobody was admitting to it that nobody had been handing out pixie sticks that night. Mm -hmm. So they actually took O'Brien, like, back to this neighborhood to have him walk around a few times to see if it would jog his memory to, like, what house this was that he had gotten the pixie sticks from, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote. And after taking him back three times, he finally took them to that house that had been dark and nobody answered the door. So the story he spun to them was that he had gone back to the house before catching up with Bates and the kids. He said that the owner of the home had not turned the lights on, but did crack open the door and then handed him five pixie sticks. He claimed to have only seen like a man's arm come out of the door. And he just described the arm as being hairy. (laughs) What the hell? Yeah, you know, like a fucking hermit just here like creepy as fuck. Happy Halloween. Literally like the fucking crypt keepers like happy Halloween. Oh, God. He's like trembling as he holds mm-hmm. these fucking pixie sticks out to mm-hmm. him. Like first of if that should happen, like A, I'm not taking that candy. No. And B, if I take that candy, I'm not giving it to my fucking kid. No. Like what? And I'm you're telling me I'm not gonna look at the pixie sticks and see that it's fucking stapled. Yeah, track. no, like for real. Like you're not the getting fuck? That. The fuck? You cannot have that. It's I'd be garbage. mad suspicious. I'd be like, mm-hmm. you know what? Actually, I don't want these. You can keep that. You can keep those, you fucking weirdo. Mm-hmm. So this home was owned by a man named Courtney Melvin. Uh, Melvin was an air traffic controller at William P. Hobby Airport, 
And he claimed that he'd been working all Halloween. He said that he didn't get home until 11 p.m. on Halloween night, which would have been well after um, O'Brien, Bates, and the kids were out trick-or-treating. So police ended up ruling Melvin out as a suspect when over 200 people confirmed that he was indeed at work that night. So Mm -hmm. it couldn't have been him at this home. Mm -hmm. So I want to go and take a pivot and talk a little bit about Ronald Clark O'Brien and his kind of life in the family's life before this Halloween night in 1974. So O'Brien was born on October 19th, 1944 in Houston, Texas. There's not much that's known about like his actual early life, um, but he got married to his wife, Deneen, in the early 60s, after which they moved to Deer Park and they had their two kids, Timothy in 1966 and Elizabeth in 1969. Um, O'Brien worked as an optician at Texas State Optical in Sharpstown, Houston, And he was also a deacon at the Second Baptist Church where he sang in the choir and ran a local bus program. So those who knew him, they considered him to be like a model citizen. Because on the surface, he is. He's a father of two. He's got a good job. He's active in the church. Um, They also thought that he was, they said he was, quote, a good Christian man and an above average father. So what he's showing to the people around him is like, you know, just... Standard, you know, American dream guy with the wife and kids, picket fence, white white picket fence. I almost said picket <laughs> fence, white houses, white picket fence in the house. Um, but you get you get the idea. <laughs> so um, he's putting on this front, obviously, that he just lives a very normal, like, all-American life. In reality, though, it was not so much the case. Um, he, throughout his life, always had difficulties holding down jobs. Um in the span of 10 years, he had 21 different jobs, um, and he was fired from every single one for either negligence or some sort of fraudulent behavior. Um, in the fall of 1974, so like very, very early on before this happened, he was actually on the brink of being fired again from Texas State Optical because they were suspecting him of stealing money from them. Great. Um, his salary of, he made $150 a week working there, and this was barely covering what he needed to pay for food and for rent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was later discovered that he was actually more than $100,000 in debt. Wow. So in 1974, that would be equivalent to $550,000 today. Wow. So he was in a lot of fucking debt. Yes. Um, he had defaulted on several bank loans and his car was on the verge of being repossessed. In January of 1974, he had taken out $10,000 life insurance policies on Timothy and on Elizabeth. And $10,000 in 1974 would be equivalent to $54,946 in money today. So those are, that's a big fucking life insurance policy for an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. Yes. Um, One month before Timothy's death, O'Brien took out an additional $20,000. That's like another, like over $100,000 in today's money. Um, on both kids, mm-hmm. um, despite the objections of Deneen. She's like, why are you doing this? Like, what the fuck are you planning for? Like, that's right. really suspicious. Our kids are, you know, they're healthy somewhat. Mm-hmm. Like, I would understand, you know, a small life insurance policy because, you know, you can plan for unforeseen circumstances like that, but that's a lot of fucking money right. to put on these kids who are healthy, healthy and have right. nothing wrong with them. And you don't intend that you're going to lose your kids mm-hmm. early. So she's like, I don't think you should. And like, a, they're already having money problems. Like, who's got the fucking money to pay for these big-ass life insurance policies? Literally. But, obviously, he doesn't fucking care. Um, 
So he takes out that policy. And then a few days prior to Timothy's death, he takes out another $20,000 policy on each child. So the various policies for each kid totaled around $60,000. So just do that math. That's probably like well into like, I don't know, like almost probably $300,000 on each kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's got a lot of money banked <laughs> in life insurance for these two children. <laughs> that he's um, murder. Police <sighs> also learned that on the morning after Timothy's death, um, O'Brien immediately was calling the insurance companies to inquire about collecting the policies that he'd taken out on his son. Wow. So <laughs> immediately police are like, that's suspicious. That's, That's weird. weird. <laughs> so they start to suspect they're like, all signs point to Ronald Clark O'Brien lacing these pixie sticks with cyanide himself in an effort to kill his children. Um, these suspicions like were enough to at least grant police a search warrant to search mm-hmm. the O'Brien home. So a search of the house, um, they found, they didn't find a lot, but they did find a pair of scissors that had some, like, plastic residue on them, mm-hmm. um, which was very similar to the same residue that was found on the cyanide lace pixie sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, so they took that as enough. They're like, with all the circumstantial things considered with this life insurance policy, we found these scissors in your home that match like the same residue that's on the pixie sticks. So Ronald Clark O'Brien was arrested for the murder of Timothy O'Brien on November 5th, 1974. So only five days after Timothy's death, Mm -hmm. he's arrested. So as the investigation continued, more and more evidence comes out to point at O'Brien for the murder of his son. It was discovered that O'Brien was attending community college and he would actually often ask one of his professors if cyanide was the most lethal poison or if there was something that would be, like, more effective or stronger than that. Uh, There was another witness who worked for a chemical company in Houston. He had come forward and told police that a man had come in to buy some cyanide, but he left after being told that he could only buy it in, like, a five-pound package, which is a lot of fucking cyanide. (laughs) Like, oh, but that's not enough. (laughs) That's a lot. Like, five pounds of cyanide, Mm -hmm. um... And you're like, I need more? <laughs> That's a fucking... I, yeah, I'd definitely be like, keep a note of that guy. I'd be yeah. like, what's your name, sir? Like, wait, wait. Yeah. So this man from the store, he couldn't like specifically identify O'Brien, mm-hmm. but he did remember that the customer was wearing a beige or a blue smock like a doctor would. Mm-hmm. Um, and this matched up with the description of the uniform that O'Brien would wear at his job as an optician. So this was like, this was the seventies. So this is long before DNA testing. Um, so they've got a lot of circumstantial evidence, right? But they don't really have anything that like puts the pixie sticks in O'Brien's hands um, or whatever. So that's the two main issues that the prosecution runs into. So obviously first they can't put the pixie sticks in his hand. They can't prove that he was the one who, who tampered with them nor could they definitively prove that it was O'Brien who had gone in and purchased the cyanide. Mm -hmm. Um, Throughout all of this, Ronald Clark O'Brien also maintained his innocence the entire time. He stuck with his story about just getting the pixie sticks from a random fucking dude in a random fucking house. So he entered a not guilty plea with his defense blaming the candy on 
the other sick individual from that house. Um, and he was kind of leaning into that, you know, superstition of the like poison laced Halloween candy. Cause like, this was not the first time that, you know, parents would be like, Oh, like, you know, we got to be careful. Let us check your candy to make sure like mm-hmm. nothing like bad is in it. So mm-hmm. he really leaned into that. Um, his sister-in-law and brother-in-law actually like testified against him in court And they said that on the day of Timothy's funeral, all he was talking about was, like, what he was going to use the money from Timothy's insurance policy for. He was talking about taking, like, a long vacation, how he wanted to buy, like, cars and all this really nice shit. And they're like, your fucking son just died. Right. And, like... Like, you can't mourn this Right. Literally, like, your son just died. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about already what you're going to do with his insurance money. Right. Like, that's fucking sus. Um, Deneen, his wife also actually came forward and said that it wasn't Tim who had chosen to eat the pixie stick that night, but it was O'Brien who, like, urged him to choose the pixie stick that night. <laughs> um, so on June 3rd, 1975, a jury took only 46 minutes to find Ronald Clark O'Brien guilty of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder for the other pixie sticks. Um. The jury took 71 minutes to sentence him to death by electrocution. (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) They pulled no fucking punches on Mm -hmm. this one. Less than an hour to deliberate in what? An hour and 11 minutes to Mm -hmm. sentence him to death? Like, bam. They don't, like, people don't fuck around when it comes to children. They do not fuck around. Uh -uh. Um, Shortly after O'Brien was convicted, his wife, Deneen, filed for divorce understandably so he mm-hmm. murdered her fucking son yeah um and she later ended up remarrying and her new husband actually adopted um her mm-hmm. daughter elizabeth as well i love that so according to reverend carol pickett a former chaplain who worked for the texas department of criminal justice uh, o'brien was actually shunned and despised by his fellow death row inmates for killing his child and said that he was quote absolutely friendless yep which, I mean, is not a... He's lucky that all they did was fucking shun him. Yeah, they're lucky that he didn't get his fucking ass murdered. Yeah, dude, he would have... Like, he should have gotten his fucking shit rocked. I'm surprised mm-hmm. nobody shanked him in the fucking bathroom. Literally. Like, child murderers do not do well in prison. No, they don't. In any way, shape, or form. Mm-mm. Like, you're... That's why, like, they'll be put into, like, protective custody or, like, they won't be put out into, like, gen pop. They'll be kept in, like, you know, a special, like, cell block. Mm-hmm. And, like, a lot of times, too, the, like, guards or whoever, like, or whoever is, like, running the prison or is in charge of, like, you know, documentation and intake and stuff, they will, like, put down a different charge in the mm-hmm. paperwork. Yeah. Um, but, I mean a lot of prisoners have family members on the outside or they're like, hey, can you Google this person and tell me what the fuck they're in for? Yeah. And so, like, <laughs> if anybody finds out that you're in prison for a crime against a child, you are lucky if you you're don't get fucked. fucking shanked. You are fucked. You're lucky if they don't shove that shank up your asshole. No, literally. Like, you'll get fucked up in prison. Like, rightfully so. I think, like, prison justice for, like, child molesters and child murderers, like... That is karma at play in the best way. Like, please go to prison and please get yourself fucked up. Literally. Um, the It was reported as well that the inmates actually petitioned to hold an organized demonstration on O'Brien's execution date <laughs> just to express how much they hated him. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> we just wanted to stand up 
Christian Chamber. <laughs> we'll sign <Fuck> you. <laughs> we hate you. <laughs> Piece of shit. <laughs> Like, they literally just wanted one of the last things he saw to be a show. reminder that they <laughs> hate him. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I am so on the side of these prisoners right now. Oh, man. Oh, okay. Jeez. I'm just like, I had to laugh so hard because just imagine them, like, standing, like, stone-faced mm-hmm. while he's getting the fucking chair and their signs to say, like, fuck you. <laughs> No, that would be fucked. Oh, that no. would be, oh my god. Hilarious. I wish. I wish. Oh, man. So, O'Brien's first execution date was set for August 8th, 1980. His attorney successfully petitioned for a stay of execution. So, his second date was scheduled for May 25th, 1982. However, that date was also postponed. Judge Michael McSpadden scheduled a third execution date for October 31st. 1982, which would have been very comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be the eighth anniversary of the crime, and he actually offered to like personally pick up O'Brien and drive him to the fucking death chamber. <laughs> he was like, "We're killing this motherfucker. He's going to die. <laughs> I will personally, I will personally drive him there. there. <laughs> I will flip the fucking switch." <laughs> um. Oh, jeez. Oh, god. So, um, what am I doing? Oh, so this would have been, so originally he was sentenced to death by electrocution, but that changed and he was supposed to be, if it were to go through on that October 31st, 1982, it would have been, um, lethal injection. Mm -hmm. And this would have been the first time that Texas had executed anybody by lethal injection. Um, however, the date was delayed again by the Texas Supreme Court. And this was to fuck. I know, right? He's like, God damn it. Um, And it was delayed to give O'Brien a chance to pursue an appeal to seek a new trial. A fourth execution date was scheduled for March 31st, 1984. O'Brien's lawyer once again sought a stay on the execution on the basis that lethal injection was a cruel and unusual punishment. However, on March 28th, a federal judge rejected the request. On March 31st, 19, 31st, 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 I caught a lip. <laughs> March, March 31st, 31st, <laughs> March 31st, 1984, shortly after midnight, Ryan Clark, oh, Ryan, oh my God, I'm, I need to go to bed. We might have to cut this one short oh, after this. Me. The other one's really short and I'll just fucking plow through it because... Oh. Let's you know it's already it. been 40 minutes? Oh, fuck me. God damn it. Okay. Woo! See, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if we can make it through this. We can way. do it. I'm going to run through it. Let me let me go. Okay. March 31st, <laughs> 1984, shortly after midnight, Ronald Kirk O'Brien was finally executed by lethal injection. During the execution, a crowd of 300 demonstrators gathered outside the prison and they cheered while some yelled trick or treat and some pelted anti-death penalty demonstrators with candy. <laughs> <laughs> So they're like, yeah, fuck you, trick or treat, motherfuckers. Um, though there are still rumors of poisoned or drug-laced candy every single year around Halloween. Um, since Timothy O'Brien, there has not been a single case where a child has actually died after consuming contaminated Halloween candy. Right. Yay! (laughs) Why the fuck did you have to pick two? Because I thought this one was gonna be short, dude. But I should know. But like, okay, we're just we're just gonna go through. (laughs) So the next case we have is the Halloween family massacre of the Lisk family. 
You better really fucking. I'm just gonna go. Don't distract me. (laughs) Um, I should have done a trigger warning on the first one for murder of a child, but uh, trigger warning on this one for graphic violence, murder, and sexual assault. So we are skedaddling to Halloween Day 2010. This is a day that started off very normal for then 16-year-old Devin Griffin. He had spent the night at his father's house, and he was returning back to the home he stayed in with his mother, Susan, and his stepfather, Bill, and it was around 9.30 this morning. And this was a Sunday. Halloween Day was a Sunday this year. And he was coming home because he had to change um, because he was getting ready to go to church by himself. Um, As he entered the home, he actually passed by his stepbrother, William, Um. This would have been pretty, like, it wasn't unusual. Like, it was weird because William didn't live with them, but he had kind of been hanging around, like, the night before. So it wasn't, like, Devin didn't think it was odd for him to just pass by William in the house. But what he did find odd was, like, how happy and upbeat William was. William was usually, like, dark. He was kind of gloomy. He was kind of withdrawn. But, like, that morning, he'd been, like, happy. He was, like, chipper. He was, like, in a really good mood. Um, When he saw Devin, he asked him how long he would be at church for. And, you know, Devin told him he'd be gone for a few hours. Um, And William was like, all right, cool, bet. So Devin gets changed. He leaves for the church service. And like he said, he's gone from the house for a few hours. When he returns home, he, you know, as a 16-year-old boy does, he goes straight up to his room. He's like, I want to play some video games. So he's sitting there and he's getting into his game. He's only playing for a few minutes before he starts to realize that something is very, very odd. The house is really, really quiet, like too quiet, because at this point, everybody who lives there is Devin, his brother, Derek, his mom, Susan, and his stepfather, Bill. And so it's like, I don't know, around noon, one o'clock at this time. And he's thinking he's like, this is like really, really strange. Like my mom does not sleep this late. Bill does not sleep this late. Like somebody would be up in the house by this time. So he decides to get up and kind of check things out. And the first place he goes is to his mom and his stepfather's room just to check and see if they're in there. So he did find that Susan and Bill were, oddly enough, still in bed. Their comforter, it was like a big, like, maroon, like, quilt comforter. Mm -hmm. It had been pulled all the way up over their heads. And he could see that one of Susan's feet was, like, sticking out from the bottom of the blanket. So he, like, starts kind of, like, calling out. He's like, Mom, Mom. Like, you know, as you do if you're, like, you know, it's like the mom I threw up where you're just kind of, like, trying to get their attention. But, yeah. like, not wanting to make them, like, piss mom off at you. Mom, up. I threw up. <laughs> so he's just, like, calling out to his mom, um, thinking that maybe, like, who knows? Because they had gone to, like, a Halloween party the night before. So he's like, just, like, shit, maybe she just got too wild. Maybe they're sleeping in. Um, but as he's calling out to them, he's not getting an answer. So he creeps a little closer And he pulls the covers down from over their heads. And the first thing he notices is that her pillow is covered in blood. So his first thought in that moment, he's like, this is a prank. Like, this is a prank. Mm -hmm. He's thinking, it's Halloween. Like, maybe they're just playing a really fucked up joke on me right Mm now. Um, But it soon became very, very obvious that this was not a prank and that in reality, his mother, 46-year-old Susan Lisk, and his stepfather, 53-year-old William Bill Lisk, had been brutally murdered as they slept in their beds. Mm-hmm. So Devin, as any 16-year-old or any person, is like, what the fuck? And he runs out of the house, and he actually, um, he calls his aunt, he calls Susan's sister, um, her name is Lori Morse. So he's like, 
my parents are dead. <laughs> like he's immediately like, we need to call the fucking police. Like, I don't know what's going on. So Lori just tells Devin to like stay outside. She's on her way over and she calls the police to report it to them. So like they can all be making their way over to the list house all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And in her call to the police, she actually names Devin's stepbrother, William List Jr. as a suspect. She tells police, quote, they've had a lot of trouble with him and with the law. He's threatened Susie before, but there's been all kinds of trouble. So immediately, he's sticking out, and her mm-hmm. head is like, this is who did it. This is who did it. Like, mm-hmm. this is the one person that comes into my mind that would have a reason or a want to kill mm-hmm. Susan and Bill. So when police arrived to the Lisk home, they discovered Susan, Bill, and Susan's eldest son, Derek Griffin, had all been murdered. Um, a preliminary examination, examination, gotta get fucking talk. Mm. <laughs> a preliminary examination by coroners revealed that the deaths had been caused by either gun, by a gunshot or like a blunt, blunt force trauma to the head. So they were shot. I think, I believe Susan and Bill were shot and Devin had been beaten over the head with something. Derek. Or sorry. Yeah. Derek had been beaten over the head. Um, they also determined that there had been no clear evidence of a struggle And upon further observation, it was revealed that Bill had been shot in the head and face about five times. On the other hand, Susan had been sexually assaulted before she was shot in the head three times at a very close range. Derek had suffered blunt force trauma to the head and had likely died within a few minutes of the first hit. Um, As for the weapon, they found a bloody claw hammer that they believe was the weapon used to kill Derek. There were also muddy footprints found on the deck leading to the pond behind the Lisk family home. Mm. And immediately police were thinking that um, whoever had killed um, Susan, Bill, and Derek tossed the gun in the pond behind the house. So they had the pond, like, drained. They had people looking. Um, They were never able to find the gun, though. Um, Lori also noted to police that she had attempted to call the home at 7 and 9 in the morning because Derek hadn't shown up for work. And she also reported that a Ford F-150 pickup truck was missing from the property. Um, And it was at this point that 24-year-old William List Jr. became the police's prime suspect in this murder. Hmm. So I want to go in and just give a little back history to, like, what the relationship with William Jr. and Susan and Bill and the rest of the family was like. So the List family came together um, when Susan and William List decided to get married in 2001 um, Susan had Devin and Derek from her previous marriage, and William had his one son, William Jr. Um, Susan's sons had a pretty good relationship with Bill, you know, as far as, like, stepfather and stepsons go. Um, but, like, William, he did not extend the same courtesy to Susan as his stepmother. Um, their family was constantly struggling with just, like, trying Mm-hmm. to, like, live amongst each other, specifically, like, with William. Mm-hmm. Um, and this put Bill in, like, situations where he was constantly having to choose between, like, loyalty for his wife mm-hmm. and loyalty to his son. Yeah. Um, William also had a history of mental illness. Um, it was believed that he possibly had schizophrenia. And at the time of the murders, he was living in a group home in Sandusky, Ohio. In 2002, um, Bill had called police to the house because um, William, who was like 16 at that time, he was like threatening to kill himself, basically. Um, In 2004, he had been charged with assault and robbery um, as Susan had called the police and said that he had hit her with a coffee cup and was trying to steal her car. Um, This state, like he was arrested for this and he was going to have charges brought against him. 
but the state ultimately decided to drop the charges because they deemed that he was unfit to stand trial. So instead of, like, going to, like, prison, he was basically ordered to just get, like, psychiatric help. Um, neighbors of the List family also expressed concerns about William, suspecting that he was, like, killing their pets, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the week leading up to the murders, William and Bill, they had gone on a deer hunting trip. Like, this was kind of, like, just another, like, effort from Bill to try to mend this relationship that he had with his son. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had returned home from the trip less than 24 hours before the murders had taken place. Um, when they returned home, they got together with some friends. They drank some beers. Um, Derek, the eldest son, like, he didn't go with them because he just didn't fucking like Williams. So he's like, I don't want to be around you guys. Um, so they were drinking and Bill actually allowed William to stay the night at the house because they had been drinking. He's like, I don't want you to drive home. Just like, I can't drive you home. Just like, stay here. I'll take you back to your group home, whatever the fuck we're going in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so when William Lisk was arrested, he was found 170 miles away at a cabin that belonged to a relative. This cabin was located in um, Carroll County. And this was actually the cabin that he and Bill had been staying at while they were on that like father-son hunting trip. Mm-hmm. So after his arrest, Lisk was initially charged with one count of murder. They charged him with only one because that was just enough to hold him um, until he could present be presented to a jury because they were basically going to determine, like, if they could even charge him with more. Um, after his arrest, he... I can't fucking do words. <laughs> after his arrest. <laughs> good God. After his arrest, with a T, not a fucking K, um, Lisk spent the afternoon handcuffed to a bench in the holding area of Carroll County Sheriff's Department. Um, he was transferred from a holding cell to the receiving cell, and an officer who was Officer Lamonti told Lisk to, like, put on, like, a suicide prevention smock, which I don't really know what that is. I mean, think of, like, a fucking, like, a straitjacket. Mm-hmm. Um... Lisk was like, fuck no, I'm not putting that on. Um, he was like, I'm not taking my clothes off. And when Lamonti, like, reached for him, um, Lisk punched him in the face. Like, punched him in the jaw and, like, started, like, scratching at his face. Mm-hmm. Um, despite this assault, though, like, he wasn't charged with anything additional. But, like, at this point, the police are like, he's kind of fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took them, like, threatening to tase him to get him to comply with, like, putting this fucking anti-suicide smock on. Mm-hmm. So, after his arrest, more stories of his violence toward his family, like, began to surface. Um, this included, like, a time that Bill had actually had to knock William out because he attempted to attack Susan while she was showering. Mm-hmm. Um, William was 18 at this time. And despite all of this behavior, like, Bill was adamant that, like, he did not want to give up on his son. Mm-hmm. Like, for all of William's problems, like, Bill literally offered him nothing but just, like, absolutely unconditional love. Right. Even in 2006, like, Bill was trying to file for, like, guardianship over William so he could have somebody who could kind of help, like, give him some direction. Because at this point, like, he's an adult they can't force him into anything. Like, they can say, you need to go to rehab, you need to do this, 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 and this, you need to get help, but they can't force him. He's mm-hmm. an adult. And so Bill's like, if I can at least get guardianship over him, like, maybe I can get him into a program where he's going to get the help that he needs. Mm-hmm. By 2007, um, William had been diagnosed with um, bipolar-type schizoaffective disorder, and he was moved to a group home for mental health payment patients in Sandusky, um, 
where, you know, before he, like, moved here, he was, like, known to have a lot of violent encounters with the police. With, like, people with untreated mental illness very typically often have violent encounters with the police. Mm -hmm. So it was nothing, nothing different for William. So he gets moved to this group home in Sandusky, um, and this is where he was living when this incident happened. So one of the List family's, like, family friends and their neighbor, his name is Mark Riddell, he recalled, like, several conversations he'd had with Bill over the course of their friendship. And all of these conversations revolved around the family's safety being jeopardized by William. Mm -hmm. But Bill was always, like, he would never do anything to hurt us. Like, he just, he's, like, mentally ill. He's got a lot of problems. Like, we believe that he would not actually do anything to, like, permanently harm us. Mm -hmm. Um. Michelle Gridell, Mark's wife, she reported to investigators that at approximately 6.30 a.m. on October 31st, she heard what she thought were gunshots. Um, so if Michelle's time frame is correct, then Devin would have come home after William had already committed the murders. Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of led into the speculation because, like, William and Devin did not get along. Mm-hmm. Like, William did not like Devin. So it was the question of, like, why did he leave him alive mm-hmm. if he didn't like him? If he didn't like him, and after he just killed his mother, his, like his dad, his stepmom, and his stepbrother, like why mm-hmm. leave Devin alive? Right. And then there's also the question of like why did he ask Devin how long he was going to be gone at church? Right. Like, did he need to know that because he was going to kill everybody when Devin was gone? And was right. that why he was so chipper and happy because he'd made the decision to kill his fucking family? Right. Or was he chipper and happy because he just killed his family? Right. Um, so there was just, like, a lot of speculation around this timeline, um, and, like, William himself, like, he gave no insight. Like, he mm-hmm. never once gave a reason for why he killed Susan and Bill and Derek. Mm-hmm. So in November of 2010, William Lisk was charged with six counts of aggravated murder, so that's two counts for each person that was killed. Three of the counts were murder with prior calculation and design, and three were murder committed in the commission of aggravated robbery, and Lisk pleaded not guilty to all counts. He was given two individual competency evaluations, and after both of those, he was found competent to stand trial for the murders of Bill, Susan, and Derek. A pretrial hearing was scheduled for 9 a.m. on August 12th, and it was at this hearing that Lisk pleaded guilty to three counts of aggravated murder in exchange for the death penalty being taken off the table. Um, Before his sentencing, Lisk did apologize for killing his family members, (laughs) and he blamed mental illness and Satan for his actions. (laughs) Um, In September of 2011, William Lisk Jr. was sentenced to three three sentences of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Um, However, on March 31st, 2015, um, four years into a sentence just about, William Lisk was found dead in his cell of a self-inflicted wound. They didn't say what the wound was, but I'm betting he probably, like, fucking cut his wrist or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, he did. He ended up committing suicide while he was um, still in prison. And, yeah, I don't, like, he never really gave any further explanations of why he did what he did beyond I was mentally ill and Satan told me to do it. And, I mean, if he was schizophrenic, he was probably having, like, hallucinations, Mm -hmm. violent hallucinations. Mm -hmm. So, it's just, like, a really sad case of somebody who had not managed their mental health. Right. Like, very, un, very, very unmanagement for the entirety of his life. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it's 
I like feel like I know that schizophrenia is something that like usually is onset later in life, so it's like very strange. You can't be diagnosed with it until you're 18. Yeah, so I mean, he was diagnosed when he was mm-hmm. 18, but like he's been living with it for however long, and it's just going completely off the rails. And like this was still, you know, like the the mid 2000s, so like mental health advocacy and like mental mm-hmm. health treatment was like not nearly what it is today. Like obviously, there's still pretty large stigma surrounding mental health, but like mm-hmm. even like. Back then, like, 10 years ago, it was so much worse. So, I like, I think, like, genuinely, if he would have been able to get the help he needed, like, this that never would have happened. happened. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, like, a sad... It's so sad that, like, things like this have to happen for people to understand how important, like, mental, mental health, health is. Mm-hmm. And not treating it like a bad thing to say, I'm struggling and I, and need, I need help. help. Yeah. Like, people shouldn't have to fucking die for us to realize that, like... And, like, the majority of people with schizophrenia live perfectly normal lives like with it medicated and treated yeah and like the majority of people who have schizophrenia are not violent but obviously there's still that small percentage if you let somebody go untreated for so long the thing with schizophrenia is there's not a lot of statistics like actual real life statistics and a Mm -hmm. lot of that information is skewed because the majority of the schizophrenic population is homeless and the majority of those people don't get help Mm. so therefore there's not a lot of data yeah. like accurate data Makes sense, yeah. on them because they're not going places to get help right and they are not in group homes because they're homeless right and they just don't have the means to mm-hmm. seek out any help yeah. <laughs> it's like so, they're worried about you know where they're gonna sleep and what they're gonna eat next not oh how can mm-hmm. i get you know treatment for my mental health it's problems sad, but a lot of the schizophrenic population is homeless yeah and obviously like schizophrenia definitely mm-hmm. has a point to play in the reason behind people being homeless because mm-hmm. if you had on you have if you have untreated schizophrenia mm-hmm. i mean i'm just assuming it can be pretty hard to hold down a job to mm-hmm. if you have bipolar it's hard to hold hard to hold down a job if yeah you like any it. sort of untreated mental illness like mm-hmm. that is going to have an effect on how you live your day-to-day life so it's not surprising mm-hmm. to know that a lot of you know unhoused people in this country like suffer from mental illness yeah it goes hand in hand <laughs> together with that but yeah i just really wonder like why he left Devin alone like i that's like the one big question and i feel so fucking bad for Devin. i know his like, family i know and like he's got to live like and he's got to live with that question too of like why why not me, me too who did punch Ralph. you oh he just punched me in the leg it and then meowed at me it was a love tap it was a love bump hi it was a love bump <laughs> he's yelling into he's yelling all right. He's like, I want everybody to know I'm here. Oh well, God. it is late. Oh, I am tired. We need to go to bed. But those were the two cases of the man who killed Halloween, Ronald Clark O'Brien. Give him a squeeze. There he goes. <laughs> so, yeah, those are the cases of the man who killed Halloween and the Lisk family Halloween massacre. Um, hope you guys enjoyed those cases. I think these were two, like good cases to lead into after doing the fucking toy box killer was just like (laughs) such a terrible fucking case like obviously both of these are terrible you know in their own ways like murder is always terrible but there's always like that the toy box killer just had that extra layer of grossness on top of everything and i just want you to know we will not be doing a late night one 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think if we hadn't gone to McDonald's, this would not be as bad. It's the food coma that's really getting us on this. I can't even see anymore. <laughs> well, all right. We're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Please go and follow us on the Instagram at TSRH Podcast. We also have a Facebook page at TSRH Podcast. If you would like to send us an email, case suggestions, or just general comments, um, TSRHpodcast at gmail.com. Um, but that's about all I got. Autumn, do you have anything else to say to the people? Not a damn thing. Go to sleep, (laughs) y'all. Go to sleep, everybody. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we will catch you in the next one. Um, Bye. Bye.